Hello and welcome to French Football Weekly, the international edition. My name is Chris, I am your host. That was so creepy, It was, wasn't it? I don't know where that came from. Um, I I do not have any charges pending that I'm aware of. Sorry about that. Uh, Let's let's just pretend that didn't happen. My name is Chris, I am your host. And this week's French Football Weekly, as I very weirdly mentioned, is an international flavour because we have come off probably just the most stupid international time during a season that we get if you know what I mean like it's just the worst timed one of the domestic calendar but uh, we have got two France games to talk about and of course I will need some company to do that so as you may have guessed Phil is here even Phil hello hello to you and good evening Jess how are you yeah, I'm not bad, thanks. I would say the one right at the start of the season or the one right at the end of the season is worse. Yeah, actually, yeah, the one at the start of the season, I would say definitely. The one at the end of the season... Um, I'm only it, saying that because France always play badly in that one. Yeah, yeah, fair point. I think the one at the end of the season, if if Arsenal do win the title, I won't give a monkey's about because I won't care about anything. But at the start of the season, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, it, it's not the best, is it? But... um. Anyway, never mind. We shall make what we can of what we are given. And we have been given two France wins, which is lovely, and two France wins to nil, which I'm sure we'll touch on shortly. Um, So I will start with you, Phil, on this. uh, We'll we'll go back to the first game, which was the Netherlands, Holland, whichever you prefer, on the 24th last weekend. Comprehensive 4-0 victory, and it was pretty much done and dusted inside the first 10, 15 minutes. Um, with uh, the early goal from Griezmann after new captain Killian uh, set him up. Open Meccano rather fortunately credited with the second before Mbappe added a third and a stoppage time, uh, a stoppage time um, sort of second goal for the night for, for Mbappe, which was a cracker, by the way, his his touch and composure to leave a couple of defenders on their backsides to finish was quality. What did you, what did you make of that particular performance? Because, I know the Netherlands had some issues with illness, quote unquote, but it was it was like an angry France, wasn't it? It was we want to make a point after the World Cup final. Yeah, I I, I really think you've kind of nailed it there. That going into this game, I think a lot of France fans felt quietly confident, but this scoreline was like more than anyone was expecting really. And uh, we should also mention there was the um, penalty save in mm. uh, extra time. Mike Maignot has really come into his new role and gone, nope, okay, forget the old guy, here I am. Yeah. And we saw that also in the, the second game, which we'll come on to. So, there just seemed to be a real sense of organisation and drive that um, appeared in this match. Now, one thing we've heard is that uh, Kylian Mbappe, as you said, the new captain, so at halftime he gets his first chance to do a captain speech mm. and he was like, let's keep it going in the second half. And the thing is, they kind of didn't because his second goal came in the 88th minute. They did take their foot off the gas a bit, which I suppose is kind of understandable if you're 3-0 up at half time. <laughs> but um, the fact that he was saying, let's go for it, let's 
absolutely put the hammer down on them and they didn't uh, that was kind of an interesting an interesting situation but i think overall obviously a fabulous result yes the netherlands did have some people out uh illness in the squad i don't mm. know pizza lasagna i don't know chicken curry but... i believe okay um you know all kinds of quizzing um mm. but they didn't put anything together and france did as you say go for the early doors and it, that was really good to see and if I, I know you want to bring Jess in here at some point, but when we move on to the second game, which was beating Ireland 1-0 with a bit of a worldie from Benjamin Pavar, he does do that very occasionally, um, that, that was a game that felt like it was a bit like after the Lord Mayor's show. I mean, there was a swift turnaround on those games they played Friday and Monday it just felt a bit flat in the second game but kind of that was okay because as we were discussing last time uh, the game against the games against the Netherlands are going to be the toughest in that group so to have put that marker down was the most important thing and then they did do what it took in the second game with Mignon again coming in with some big saves at the end of the match, one of which I think was uh, Jules Condé nearly scoring an own goal and that required some uh, management at the back. So it was, as you say, 2-0 in both games, which is really good. We see Mignon come into his new role and they've got the six points, and it's overall very positive. Absolutely, no, absolutely, yeah. Uh, and and I will bring you in here at this point, Jez. Um, we'll we'll stick with with the Dutch game for a moment. What what's your sort of overall impression of of that particular performance? Because France started in what seems to be a four three three, although I guess it is kind of more of a four two one three kind of thing with Schumann and Rabiot kind of sitting and, and Griezmann having that that free-flowing role with Mbappe wide and Komen wide with Colin Mwani coming into that starting lineup. What did you sort of make of the overall performance and that, Phil touched on it there, the, the leadership of, of Mbappe one game or two games, you, you can't, of course, make a judgment, you know, based on that alone, but just based on the sort of things that we've heard him say, the interviews he's given, the I thought the the notable celebration with Griezmann was was very it just seemed to be very focused on if you will um and and it seems like although maybe privately Antoine is is not you know exactly overwrought by the decision it, it seems like it's been taken in the way that he takes everything for France which is on his back you know he's he's just carried on and, and scored a lovely goal in this game as well what did you make of that overall performance and indeed that that leadership that we saw I think it was an excellent performance. I think you always want to kind of put out a bit of a marker in your first match of a qualifying tournament. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the home advantage is, is is big, but against what on paper looks like your biggest rival in the in the group, it's all the more important to, to kind of stamp your authority early on. 
and obviously the way it worked out sort of two minutes in you can't get much earlier than that so based on having that sort of opening cushion I think it was easy for France to relax into the match and and certainly the first half I thought the second half was kind of quite mature in the way that they sort of just uh managed the game and, and you didn't need to kind of bust the gut mindful that there was another match coming up the first half I thought they really did look excellent but I, I do think I think people were right to rave about the potential of the team because it's such a young team and you worry that sort of a transition period after losing a few senior players there could be some up and down moments so the fact that it was so dominant I think was was great to see but I do think it does need to be tempered by I mean I thought the Dutch were horrific defense, mm. defensively especially I mean Mbappe's you know the first goal I think was very well worked by the French team and yet again it was sort of Griezmann doing his defensive job and his attacking job um so even then there was a defensive mistake because Griezmann won the ball off France. But after that, they worked it well. But the second goal and the third goal even more, I mean, it was such bad defending. The third one, I know Mbappe is quick, but the Dutch defence basically sort of just stopped to watch him go through them. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm not taking anything away from the performance, but I would temper it a little bit by, by sort of noting how bad the Dutch were. Mm. But... If you look all the way through the team, I think they were mostly positives. Coman was a bit disappointing. Kunde is not the right back. No. Um, but apart from that, sort of everyone kind of pretty much passed, I think, with flying colours. Um, yeah. And Kolomuani looks like such a, um, like he could become such an important player as much as anything because of his, his versatility, I think. Yeah, I, I love his ceiling. He He strikes me as a guy who can just go up and up and, I kind of wonder if the move that he made uh, to Eintracht Frankfurt, wasn't it, in the summer, I wonder if that is the blueprint for other players who are looking to to make that step up when we you know when they leave French teams because there's there's so many players who either take a step far too high um, or maybe take a step to the wrong leagues and don't progress. And I feel yeah, like well, I think you know, a similar thing happened with um, Marcus Turam, I think. Yeah. Well, so. Um. So, yeah, really impressive overall. And, yeah, on Griezmann, I mean, as you said, I think, you know, I think he needs to feel loved. I think he wasn't happy that he didn't get the captaincy, but he's also not the type. I don't think he's going to sort of sulk and mm. um, down tools, unlike certain previous so. strikers, that kind of thing, um, <laughs> who refused to even turn up to kind of um, be honoured as a former international or whatever. It wasn't um, great, was it? I didn't think, to be honest. I know he It wasn't surprising. No, um, I agree. Yeah. Did you just quickly, actually, on that? Just seeing as you brought it up, did you see the the sort of the infamous footage that was leaked from the training session where one of the players is allegedly heard to say it's better without Benzo, isn't it? And pe- people agreeing. You know, do you, I mean, the, having come from a Sunday League background, that's just the sort of thing that people. That's just I hate the word, but banter, isn't it? That is just the sort of thing that players at any level highest or lowest just do isn't it you know or so-and-so's left oh is he or who's that you know I didn't really read into it too much did you I haven't seen it I know there were rumors at the time that people were saying that and I do sort of think no smoke without fire Mm. but I don't know look you know this Deschamps has won it all for France he's 
he stuck by Benzema when Benzema went 1,200 minutes without scoring. He brought Benzema back. I, Whatever people say, I don't think he had any choice in the matter, really, in terms of all the blackmail thing. I think I can't see how he's done that much wrong by Benzema. And to me, it's, you know, somehow it's all painted as at worst 50-50, they're as bad as each other at, Sorry, at best, they're as bad as each other. At worst, it's all Deschamps' fault. And to me, it's just it's stunning that anyone is still backing Benzema. Um, and yeah, I think he's shown his true colours in the last couple of weeks on a couple mm. of occasions. Um, yeah, I, I I saw that video that went from kind of 18 seconds to 12 seconds to 6 seconds. And I swear to God, I still can't make out what they're actually saying. Somebody does make a crack about Benzema, but what the response was, I genuinely couldn't hear it. So whether it was someone going, oh, don't talk about that or whatever, is um, kind of up in the air. I think what was interesting, as you mentioned, the Colomwani played started both games um, in two kind of different positions. Um, and obviously we had Giroud coming back and we all love Olive. Um, but yeah, Colin Wani is showing that he can play up front, that he can play on the wing. Giving a Kylian Mbappe the chance to play where he wants to and where I think you'll probably agree he's best on the left wing, that is a really positive situation as well. And kind of Griezmann being moved around a bit, he was given a bit more of a free reign in the middle against the Netherlands. He was possibly shifted over to the right a bit more possibly to protect Pavar in the second game, again shows his versatility. So when you talk about versatility, you don't want to say, oh, so-and-so can play anywhere, because that probably means they're okay anywhere. These guys are good in two positions. And... That is a big difference from being able to be James Milner and play anywhere over the park and do a job. They can be, um, uh, I want to say percussive, Um, they can be effective in more than one position. Mm. And that is a very useful kind of skill set to have and... uh, a very useful thing for Deschamps to be able to consider when he is looking at maybe not having everybody available if there's injuries or suspensions or people out for various reasons. So I thought that was... the There weren't many changes in staffing between the two games, but I think the changes that were made were interesting and positive in that you got Rabio plus too many or Camavinga can be the holding pair. 
you've got that back line where Kunde yeah, isn't a right back. Pavar isn't a particularly good right back if he is a right back. But they're working on how all this is going to fit together. And I thought that was also useful to see over the two games. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key thing is where you can be adaptable, you can change positions or be multifunctional, but you want to be known for the, what you are rather than just being sort of rammed into a position just because you can play there, i.e. Kundos, just mentioned there. But on to the the second game then, Jess. Um, Phil kind of touched on it briefly already, but it was very much a different type of performance. It was a 1-0 win away in Ireland and you know 12 months ago you would say you would have said that's kicking a blind man's stick away because Ireland haven't been the, the best of late but they really battled in this game and it, it as sort of Phil mentioned in in that previous uh, discussion it, it took a weldy from Benjamin Pavar in off the in off the crossbar um, and then a, a pretty good defensive structurally anyway performance and some wonderful action from Magic Mike with a couple of fantastic saves it in a way, would you say we learnt more about this French team in this game than we did in the first? I think we learned that they've still got some of the same issues, which is they, they really struggled to break down a well-organised defence that sits deep. And arguably, we also learned that there's still a couple of players there who maybe go into certain games assuming it's already won and, and possibly not having entirely the right attitude. Um, but I, I do think, you know, it's the old cliche of the sign of a good team is one that, that wins when they're they're not playing well. So I suppose there's that. It shows that there's you know threats can come from all over the place. There was an interesting article in, in Lekip today about how it, it also shows that um uh sort of following on from the, the World Cup final and from Griezmann's opening goal against the Netherlands and this goal, the winning goal yesterday, that whereas Deschamps' success in recent years has been built on France sort of sitting back and then hitting the opponents on the break. Maybe it's time to sort of transition into a, a real pressing team that can really punish punish teams by by winning the, the ball high up the pitch. Um, and another thing that the match shows and is crucial to that is that Kamavinga, as we all knew, isn't a left back and it's strange kidology by, by Deschamps to to have specifically said that he was being picked in the squad this time as a left back and ended up in both matches playing um, playing as a central midfielder and as a deep central midfielder. And I, th- I thought he played really well mm. yesterday, was probably the man of the match and certainly um, probably would have had a better performance at left back than Teo Hernandez, who was horrific, I thought, yesterday. Um, I thought the match also showed that Pava, I still think, is a better right back than Kunde. Um, obviously there were a load of digs at, at Giroud but I just think if you could just pummel 19 aimless crosses per half into into the box but none of them are actually going anywhere near him there's only so much he can do yeah. um, and it shows that the team can still find a way to win when Mbappe is having an off day because he did very little yesterday I thought he strangely was starting very wide off the left wing I, I do like him as I do like him best sort of cutting in from the left, but he seemed to have such a wide starting position that he was leaving himself too much to do. Um, so overall, I mean, it wasn't brilliant, um, but I suppose you could say that France conceded 
barely any chances against, albeit not a top quality team. Yeah, I think Ireland are going to be excellent in the next few years. I think they've got some real good young talents there. Anyone in um, particular you want to mention there? <laughs> <laughs> well, yesterday I thought I thought um, Og Benny was was just running rings around Hernandez. Mm. You know, Ferguson did what he could up front and. But it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't necessarily his day. But Og Benny, I thought, was excellent. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there was, it wasn't brilliant, but they came out of a potentially tough away game, um, with a win. But my two favourite sort of facts or pieces of useless trivia that I've learned this week. The first one is that TV chef Gina De Campo served two years in prison for burgling. 80s singer Paul Young's house once. Which I what? Was <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> okay. The second one. Something. The second one is that in the last like 50, 60 years, something like that, the Netherlands have only ever lost twice, 4-0, and both of them were at the Stade de France against France. And the first yeah. time France followed it up with a nil-nil against Luxembourg. So, <laughs> so yesterday's match, I guess, was progress from that upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was I'm still, say something I'm still blown away by Gino. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I'm still. I, I. This is sacrilege. I'm still not convinced about Canate. By the way, no. I. I. I actually, I was going to ask you, and I'll ask you both because I want to sort of um, kind of bring the France talk. Uh, to a head with with this question, I guess, and that was just what what you both make of the the sort of the future moving forwards and within this squad. Um, there's two two separate elements to this, so I'll save one for you, Phil, and I'll ask you, Jez, on this one. That defense is that if we establish the fact that Manuel's been named number one, Ariola's been confirmed as as number two. Is is that centre back and arguably those full back positions the key now? Because I, I really like Upa Meccano. Uh, I think I just think he's got everything yep. on his day. Um, I actually wonder if Jean Claude Tadebo would be so not maybe not the perfect, but I feel like he's got the most upside in in terms of a partner for now. Um, I'm fighting with every last fiber of my being not to say Saliba because I, I just I love him to bits. I, I do naturally club allegiances, but I just feel maybe to come straight in would be too fast. But then I guess you could argue the same with Tadebo. And then those fullback areas. Um, I mean, where did France turn from here? Because Jonathan Klaus's form has gone off a off a bridge. Um, the left back situation. I mean, I, I like Teo Hernandez a lot, but in a capacity in a capacity as an attacking fullback, defensively he is suspect. Um, he's more than suspect. So where is that defensive? What what would you like to see France do if you assume that Rufa Meccano is a lock? Where else would you build into that? For me. Personally, I mean, it might be a pro Saliba and anti Liverpool bias. I don't know, but for me, I would, I my idea would be Saliba and and Nupa Um hmm. I just, I don't, I th- I don't think it is. I think Tonate did enough during the World Cup that, in Deschamps' mind, they are now the two starters, sort of barring a real loss of form or a couple of big rickets. I just. You know, I don't mind one being the more cultured player who can sort of bring the ball out or find a, a line-breaking pass and the other one being a bit more of a bruiser or whatever. But I just thought some of the 
hoofing from Kanate yesterday was really unnecessary. Mm. And and I worry that as good a defender as he is, that there's not much football there. Um, do you, do you, I, we, we do still have, obviously, Presnel Kempembe injured to the end of the season. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know we all have our reservations about Presnel, but he is one of the ones who might sit to where Upamagano would be the leader. Mm. I think or, be, I mean he's I don't left sided. Forget that he's in in the in the mix. Mm. I, I think I, I, that Upamecano can play on the right, so it wouldn't be the strangest thing in the world for Deschamps to bring Kimpembe in. We know that he's sort of loyal to players who've done a bit for him, or you know, not not necessarily much on the pitch, but. Well, it counts as important for team spirit in 2018. So it wouldn't be the strangest thing in the world for Deschamps to bring him back. But, but yeah, I just I think those two have done enough for Deschamps that anyone else is going to have to really work hard to, to break in. And it just yeah. feels like Kimpembe now is destined to be a little bit injury prone as well. Yeah, that's my concern is how many of these, because they're not just two injuries, two very serious injuries that he's he's had and players don't often come back as strong from one, let alone two, but, yeah. um, and as for the fullbacks, I, I feel like I feel I like think... Malagusto is probably the one to keep an eye on next year if, if the move to Chelsea goes well. Yeah, I mean, it's a concern. I just, a left back, there are a few sort of specialist left backs and they're all having issues with either injury or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree, Hernandez again has sort of earned his place, but I just worry about him defensively. But yeah. he's still sort of such a uh, sort of extra threat going forward that I don't yeah. have huge issues with that. The right back's just a bit of a mess, and yeah. I do I do still rate Pavar very highly, but he doesn't really want to play there. Um, no. So yeah, you're sort of relying on Gusto breaking into the Chelsea team, which isn't going to be easy, or Kumbendi who's coming, Kumbedi who's coming in sort of to replace him at, at Lyon, mm. sort of, you know, really quickly sort of uh, bedding in, I suppose, isn't it? It's like his bedding in process with the, yeah, with the starts he's going. Otherwise, on. there's not much there. I mean, even. Touch on it later, maybe, but even the, the fullbacks who appeared for the under 21s, they're not Ooh. names like the rest of the team. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that with Phil in, in a second. Um, yeah, they're, they're not Turam and Lizarazu, let's be honest. Um, it's not just that. I mean, you had Turam and Lizarazu. Obviously, Turam arguably wasn't necessarily a fullback either. Mm-hmm. But then you had like Sanyo and Candela who would walk into most other international teams waiting in the wings. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, and and even I mean even just going back to the the sort of Bakary Saka era, there there were consistently good fullbacks, and it, no. I don't know, it just feels like we're lacking. That. <laughs> I did like him, um, Phil. The question I want to pose to you before we uh, come on to the under twenty ones a little bit as well is: Does this kind of mean the end for certain players? Um, and the two that I think stand out at the moment from this squad are, are Paul Pogba and, and Golo Kante, just in terms of, and when I say the end, I don't mean put them out to pasture, but they're both coming back from long, long-term injuries. And I just sort of feel like this squad has moved on without them very quietly. Yeah, Is that an argument to say that, that maybe their time has come and gone now? No, I think you're right. I think if, I feel more like if Kante was to come back, 
is a role for him, but Pog, the way Pogba plays or wants to play would involve a lot of changes around uh, the formation and how France actually approach matches. And I think Deschamps is kind of comfortable with that Rabio plus one um, situation, mm. as we discussed before. So I'm not sure anyone looking at these two games is talking about the players who weren't there. No. They're talking about the players who were not necessarily that everything's perfect and the like, but they're not, they're saying so-and-so needs to do better, not it would be better if we had the other guy. Mm. And that might mean that, as you say, they've, They've not um, imprinted themselves as people you miss. Not key um, members anymore, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And that's so, fine. Like it? I say, I think if Kante came, came back at full fitness, you're going to love having that as a pivot. Mm. But I think for Pogba particularly, and I hate saying this because he's a wonderful player, but the way that Deschamps has this French team set up, I don't think he fits. Mm, Yeah, I tend to agree. tend to agree. I also feel like with Kante in particular, I think his next move in terms of um, club might be key as well because I, I don't see him having a future with Chelsea in the current setup they have and uh, wonder whether he might fancy a return to, to Ligue 1 or maybe try something in Spain perhaps, but he's not getting any younger, as they say. Um, just before we move on to the under-21s, uh, just to let you all know that as you would predict, France are top of Group B in the qualifiers, uh, six points out of six, two wins out of two, and no goals conceded. They are ahead of Greece, um, who won their first match in the group, beating Gibraltar 3-0. Uh, the Netherlands are also tied, having beaten Gibraltar by the same score. Uh, and then you've got Ireland and the aforementioned Ireland team uh, down at the bottom on zero points. And I think I'm right in saying that the next round of fixtures... Uh, no, I think I'm wrong. I'm going to quickly check it. I believe they are, like when Jez said, at the end of the season, 16th of June. Yes, 16th of June away in Gibraltar, which would be a lovely time to go to Gibraltar, I would imagine. Um, was not a lovely time for the under-21s to go to England, though, was it, Phil? They did not Ooh. have a good time. Ooh. Ahead of a game tonight, we should should say. They're playing Spain, I think, tonight. Yeah, and they're playing Spain tonight, so... It's, yeah. well, it's half-time at the moment. Oh, is it ongoing? I thought it, I must have met. I thought it was an evening yeah. game. So, okay. But yeah, that was uh, not a good result. England beat them 4 0. And the French team is a bit of a weird mix of players you might think you've heard of and players you definitely haven't. Um, and it just doesn't seem to be gelling well at the minute. 
maybe they can pull some stuff together after that. But, yeah, it was four goals all in the second half as well for England. Smith-Rowe, Madariki, Jones, Ramsey. And, yeah, it was not a good look for uh, the the little ones, no. uh, as we say. And so what really they do against, uh, against Spain will be interesting to see whether they can pull that back a bit because as Jess says at the moment we're into the second half it's still nil-nil so maybe they'll be able to uh, do something with with that but yeah you won't have heard of many of them but having Lefe in there I think in Callum Wendell you know, there were some really good players in there, but do they have the organisation to actually get the ball in the back of the net is a bit of a bit of an issue. Yeah, I made the mistake of trying my best to click onto a site here to see some stats and got met with 400 ads, so apologies for that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that squad is, is, is dripping in talent, you would think, um, but... Yeah, it, it did not go well um, in that particular game. As, as you rightly say, it is 0-0 for 53 minutes in. I finally got to the score. So there we go. And if we could not mention Enzo Lefe, because that wound is still hurting after his announcement this week. So if we could just move on quickly from there, that'd be great. Um, a little bit of an update on the women's game as well, Phil, before we uh, bring things to a head. Yeah, um, last time I... Uh, I called the, the score lines right, but not the results. Both OL and PSG lost 1-0 in their um, first leg of the quarterfinals. Um, OL playing Chelsea, who I, it could have been a lot more. PSG were a bit hamstrung by the Almeida being sent off and Wolfsburg's um goal was from the penalty spot as a result. The second legs of that come on Thursday. So it's all 1-0 uh, score lines in the, the quarterfinals there. There's just a bit more off-the-pitch shenanigans uh, that um, I think is Diani's boyfriend, Cesar Mavacala, is the advisor to Diallo, and he's been arrested for extortion. So, fabulous. And I think uh, Jez needs to go in a big way, and he's the person recording this, so we'll just say women's game still a bit fucked up. Yeah, more more developments to come, you would imagine. Uh, ahead so yeah unfortunately off the pitch stuff is dominating at the moment um as phil mentioned there we do need to wrap this up so we will do just before we go i will let you all know of course that we do have uh fixtures upcoming this weekend in liga as the domestic season resumes um starting with friday night's game between marseille and montpellier so i'll be one that phil will be watching 
possibly behind the sofa. Uh, on the Saturday, we've got two games. Osea against Trois. That one's a biggie at the bottom. Uh, Ron, Ren, Ross, looking, I've got Rams on the brain. Ren against Loz is the evening game. That one looks tasty at the other end of the table. And then on Sunday, we've got Lille against Lorient, which I will be watching from behind the sofa. Angers against Nice, which is very bottom to upper echelons. Brest against Toulouse. That's quite a big one for Brest. Clermont against Ajaxio. Likewise for both sides there. Uh, Nantes against Rams uh, is the one of the after, late afternoon games. Uh, as is Monaco against Strasbourg. Um, very big game that, um, again, both ends of the table. And just to wrap up the uh, weekend's games, we've got a bit of a cracker between PSG and Lyon. Um, maybe less so in the current game, uh, given what's been going on with Lyon this season. But PSG really need to start finding some form. And uh, Leon obviously needs to push for those European spots. So that one should be a good watch on Sunday night. Right. As we mentioned, do need to wrap it up there. So thank you very much for joining us as always. Um, you can post questions to us anytime via the Twitter if you wish. But if not, we will be back next week to run down those games and talk about anything on or off the pitch that may go down. Uh, until then, Phil, thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. Thank you. And Jess, thank you very much for your time and uh, enjoy. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, right, we'll leave it there then. So whatever you are doing with your weekend, uh, make sure you keep up with the games because that's what you're here for. And of course, enjoy your French football. We will speak to you very soon.